Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast host. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 317 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Laura's talking with David Burkus about leading remotely. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawYaw, Text Expander, Postali, ESQ Marketing, and Cosmolex. We would not be able to do this show without their support. So stay tuned. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later on. So today we're going to talk about. Something that our team, let's just be honest, really loves, which is competition. <laughs> yes. And how you can use it to your favor, actually. It doesn't have to be a bad word, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm always telling people, like, anytime you can gamify things in the in work, in office, it, mean, it makes it fun. And, you know, some of us are a little competitive, some more than others. Me. Yes, we may or may not be the team that when we play a game asks for exact clarity on the rules so that everybody is clear of what counts, what doesn't, who's cheating, anything like that. But we found a way to really make it work for the good. Yeah. So last week, actually, our operations director was like asking the team during our team lunch, like, what could we as a company do to promote wellness? And, you know, we just kicked off a conversation and we had all kinds of ideas that we talked about, but everybody sort of landed on, let's create a competition around <laughs> wellness. Yeah. <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> I know. Well, it is good. I mean, it's fun yeah. and it, it, yes. there's the accountability. So, you know, and there's apps that you can do. We've done one in the past, um, but it had already kicked off. And so we were like, well, let's just, let's just make up our own. So, you know, we thought we'd share how we're doing it just in case anybody wants to steal the idea. You're welcome to do it. Um, so what we did is we just had everyone on the team come up with three habits or wellness activities that they wanted to commit to doing every day for the next 30 days. And I love it because everyone got to pick their own three. Yeah. And then it's being tracked in a spreadsheet. And so we all kind of chime in and there's only two possible answers. You either did it that day or you didn't. So you, in our world, you get five points if you did it and you get zero points if you didn't. And having it all in one spreadsheet where we're all kind of chiming in each day. We've talked about this as a team already. If it's like the end of the day and I haven't done one of my things, I am like, oh, I don't want to put a zero in there. So I might just go do the thing, which one of mine is like drink water. So um, it's really interesting because people pick different things too. There were a lot of like movement, exercise, meditation, but there's also like connect with one friend or family member for five minutes that day or, you know, like read for 15 minutes just for fun. And so the cool thing about it is you can have everyone come up with their own stuff that they want to check in about and do daily. Yeah. And just to give some people ideas, like a lot of people have goals around how many hours of sleep they're going to get. 
you kind of mentioned the water, which has also caused us to need to take more water breaks now during our meeting. I mean, our potty breaks because we're all drinking water, <laughs> which is hysterical. Yeah. You can pick whatever you want. And I think the whole idea, you know, we've been joking as a team, like because of the competitiveness, you could call it the be best challenge, but we're really not viewing it as, you know, who did the most or who got their things done every day. The whole, what we're calling it is the be better challenge. And so the goal is to pick something you want to be better at that you're going to feel comfortable checking in every day. And then um, our operations director has also given us some bonus activities. So like today, she had all of us share three things that we were grateful for. So it's also, I find, a cool way to get to know your team members a little bit more too, because stuff comes up there that might not otherwise come up in normal conversation. So it's both improving like culture and knowing everybody, but also your personal wellness too. Yeah. And so if case anyone's wondering, it's, I mean, it's a little competitive, but what we decided is... <laughs> We have, th I don't even know if we've announced this to the team yet. What we've come up with is, is three levels. So like gold, silver, bronze, and everyone who gets a minimum amount of points into that level is going to get a prize. So it is going to be possible for everyone on the team to reach gold and we all get some cool prize to be determined. I have to figure that out. <laughs> But <laughs> I love that. I didn't know that either. So now I'm even more motivated <laughs> yes. to keep up with my stuff. I don't care what the prize is. Just the possibility of the prize is enough. <laughs> I mean, it is good. I would. I will tell everyone that one of mine is to just move every day. Yeah. And I found myself doing some squats while I was waiting for my daughter's dinner to finish cooking the other night. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm in my kitchen, but I need to move for the day. I need to get some stuff done. So it does just make you a little bit more intentional throughout the day about how you're taking care of yourself and, and moving. Yep. So feel free to steal it from us and implement it with your own teams. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Tucker from Law Ya, and then my conversation with David. Hey y'all, Zach Glazer here, the legal tech advisor at Lawyerist. And today I've got Tucker Cottingham from Law Ya here with me, and we are talking low code document automation. Tucker, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, Tucker, for, for people that don't know, um, how do you describe LawYaw? What do they do, just very quickly? Sure. Um, so LawYaw is a web-based platform that makes it really easy for legal professionals to include programmable documents into their workflows. And you guys are a you know no-code or low-code programmable documents. And I've been thinking about that lately. Like, What's kind of the difference between using that and using the, the document automation that's built into some of these LPMSs or law practice management systems? And it's, it's simplicity. It's, it's ease of use uh, at, at, a, at a minimum. Yeah, absolutely. So we're trusted by you know, more than 1,100 firms. And, and so that means that we've seen a lot of different types of practices be successful with technology. And one of the things that attorneys tell us is that it's really hard to find the right mix for document assembly. Mm -hmm. And so for your law firm, you know, you want something that's easy to use and easy to set up, but that can also accommodate, you know, complex operations and conditionals. And so a lot of times people kind of get left sitting in, uh, in the Goldilocks chair where this one's too hard to use, this one's not full featured enough. And so finding that, you know, right fit isn't always easy. And so LawYall's identified, you know, no code solutions as kind of the best way to effectively combine ease of use with more sophisticated document generation capabilities. Right. And so no code is when you're working with your law practice management system and you're you're creating your automated document, you can take the fields that the, the practice management system gives you and you can input them into this document. And, and so you can create a document that you can crank out and you can get plaintiff name. But you have to type that in. You have to know what you're what you're doing. Whereas with something like like LawYall, something no code, it, it's really more 
just drag and drop, right? Yeah, exactly. So we integrate really closely with Microsoft Word and basically you can open up a Microsoft Word document. You can drag different fields into your document. Um, you can build a real simple kind of conditional statements. You know, if there's no kids, skip this paragraph, change the subject verb agreement, you know, change the pronouns. And you can pull then the information from, yeah, you know, Clio or your practice management software or a questionnaire, you know, directly into your documents. And you can set all that up without having to write, you know, any actual code yourself, which, you know, you and I both spent years uh, practicing law in a time when you had to write, you know, all the complex equations directly into your document. <laughs> right. I used to go to this website that looked really, really antiquated to go find, you know, conditional statements that I could use for <laughs> my my documents and and code it directly into to Microsoft Word. And, and frankly, every time I was doing that, or most of the time I was doing that, I, I sat there and I thought, I really wish I had this like pane on the right hand side of Microsoft Word that had all my all my information in it. And most of the the no code solutions, including Law Y'all, has something like that where there's an add-in there that lets you visualize what what all variables you have and you can just pull them directly into your document. Right, exactly. And I mean, what we hear from attorneys is that you know, they want to save time and increase profit margins and provide better client experience, you know, and have peace of mind that, that their team isn't making careless errors. They don't want to necessarily have to learn how to write computer code. And so, you know, being able to get those benefits in sort of as low friction of a way as possible is certainly what we're always thinking about. And for a lot of people, that's just being able to see visually, okay, here's all the different fields that I have, you know, here are the pre-made conditions and I can just easily drag those into the document and then have everybody in our firm using the same template. Right. Well, and so uh, the other day, I guess earlier this week, I was creating a demo for our website of Law Y'all and uh, using a demo account. And one of the things that I did was just pull a, a template in almost as fast as I could, just grabbed a residential lease that I had and just made that into a template. And I was surprised at how quickly that was able to become a, a template. So, and, and what it makes me think of is, is what are kind of the first documents that people should pull in that, that they should bring in when they do that, you know? Yeah, that's a great question because I think what oftentimes happens is people have their vision of their law firm where things are very streamlined and organized and easy to use. And, you know, they have the, the most complex document in mind, which is not the thing that you should start with. So, you know, exactly like you did, starting with something that's fairly straightforward that you use frequently is going to be the best thing to do. Usually that's, you know, an engagement agreement or a fee agreement if you don't already have it, right. you know, some of your correspondence, just as a way to get used to how the software works. But then we see based on practice areas, you know, everything from family law to estate planning, personal injury, real estate, criminal law, small business law, a lot of stuff around litigation with um, letters and discovery and motions and so forth. So we see people using Law Y'all, you know, in every state, a couple countries now, and across a lot of different practice areas. But I think the key is really just to think about, you know, what's the first thing that you should do that's pretty easy that you're going to use a lot and, and give you some immediate value. Well, and I think that not only gives you some value, but it also gives you some experience in what this thing can do. Because a lot of us as attorneys, we didn't go get a computer science degree. And so we don't necessarily know what can these conditional statements actually do. And so putting together something like an engagement letter lets you see what I can bring in, what I can put next, how I can do that. And then you start to be able to visualize what you can do with your other documents. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you don't need four different versions of the same document. You know, you can have one version and if it's a contingency fee, you click contingency. If it's a flat rate fee, you click flat rate. If it's a certain attorney, you click their name and their rates go into it. Mm -hmm. So it just makes that all a lot more um, simple and streamlined. And then the turnaround time as a result is a lot faster. So if somebody wants to sign up, you know, you can get that out of the door in a couple of minutes. Right, right, right. And frankly, judging from my, the demo that I did, even if you don't have the template in there already, you can get it <laughs> yeah. out the door pretty quickly. That's right. That's right. And then we also have an e-sign and a questionnaire. And so kind of being able, once you have your template, being able to send a questionnaire and gather the information from your client, have that go into the document and then be sent out for electronic signature, you know, just all works together super smoothly. Yeah. That's one of the other things about these you know, no code and low code solutions is, is that end to end engagement, the in the door, out the door, signed and going, and and you guys have your your own e sign there. That's pretty easy to use. Well, well, Tucker, I, as always, I appreciate you being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. And if our listeners want to learn more about Law Yaw and the no code document automation, obviously they can go to lawyaw.com. And you guys have a thirty day kind of guarantee, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So. You pay, and that keeps people um, motivated. But if for any reason it's not a good fit, you know, it's thirty day guarantee. And during that period and forward from there, we have attorneys and paralegals on our team that will do free training with you and a whole bunch of resources to make it really easy. Gotcha, awesome. Well, again, if anybody wants to to see more about that, just go to www.lawyaw.com. Thank you. So my name is David Burkus. I'm an organizational psychologist and the author of four books now that are all geared towards helping teams do their best work ever. Yes. And all of them are good. And we've had you on the podcast before to talk about the one before this most recent one. But tell me a little bit about the book that just recently came out. We were talking before we hit record about how you wrote a book that was so timely in such a short amount of time. But I'd love to just hear your perspective. How did this book come about? Yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't coincidence. It was it was purely a response to uh, the crazy time times we live in. So um, I had actually released a project with Audible in the beginning of 2020. And I thought that was what I was going to focus on forever, right? And then, and then early March, the world kind of ended. And it became apparent that that wasn't the message that people needed. And so we sort of looked around, started putting a lot of things together. I mean, really just trying to figure out what do people need to hear from what do they need to learn about, etc. And it was actually sort of a joint conversation between my publisher for the last book, and myself, around everyone's in this remote work world. We don't know where it's going. It was obvious by April, late April, early May, that this was going to be a lot longer than 15 days to slow the spread, right? So so what do we need to know? And, and I came back with this idea that became Leading From Anywhere, which is that there's a lot of great content out there about how to run a fully distributed company, right? Those, those books have been written and they're great. And there's a lot of work out there about how to be productive working from home because there's been a lot of work from home jobs in the past. But what there really isn't was a manual for leaders of small teams that didn't choose remote, but sort of had remote thrust upon them. How do we make it work? How do we survive? I, I used to call it a survival guide. Now, actually, the big joke is I always say, we wrote it sort of like a choose your own adventure book, except it's choose your own dilemma, yeah. right? What is your remote team facing? And we probably have a chapter about that. But it was all in this desire to just, this is, this is what people need to hear in 2020, 2021. And, and truthfully, beyond. Because by the time I got done writing the book, it became apparent that for a lot of people working remotely, or at least hybrid working from home or somewhere else other than the office, for at least part of the time was a fixture of people's lives that they liked. 
And so that, that we ended up settling on leading from anywhere as the title, because I really do believe that the future of work, or at least knowledge work, is working from anywhere, giving your people the freedom to decide when they need to be in the office and when they'd be more productive somewhere else. And if that's true, then every leader needs to know how to be a remote leader, because the likelihood that your team is going to be all together all of the time just got a lot smaller. And I think that's such a unique perspective on all of this, because we know about the teams that were ahead of the curve at being fully distributed, like Basecamp built very intentionally to have a team that literally works from anywhere and brings on people who work in very different locations so long as they meet the you know requirements of the job and the company culture and all that. And then there's people that were very tied to the in-office, like it felt like the transition to remote because of the pandemic was really difficult. But there are these other groups in the middle where you can decide, is it that you allow part of your workforce to work remote and some in an office? Is it that everyone has the opportunity to work remote, you know, a couple of days a week or something like that? So I was curious for your perspective on when is splitting time at home and the office like a good choice for a company or an employee? Because that is that hybrid approach. How do you know it might work? Well, I'm, I'm biased, so I should say that up front, but I think it's always a good idea. Um, the question is how much time. Yeah. And the reason I say that is even, even BC, before Corona, <laughs> there were uh, a lot of good research suggesting that the most engaged employees were the ones who were at the office two to three days a week. In other words, they were somewhere else two to three days a week. Yeah. And so I, I'm looking ahead to the end of 2021 into 2022, et cetera. And that's, that's kind of what I'm predicting is that this became the way to get to that stasis for most companies at two to three days on. That'll take different forms, right? Every company is a little bit different. Um, some will say, well, we, we have regular meetings and we need to be able to put our heads together at a moment's notice. So we're going to do a core hour strategy of 10 to two. We want everybody in the office, but we actually don't care how early you get here or how long you stay afterwards. You can be as flexible as you want and around there. Right. But it, it's still a shrinking to about 50 to 60% of what used to be 40 hours a week in the office. Other companies talk about the three, two, two strategy where they're trying to have their employees come through. And then, and then there's the other, the grand realization that like, we're not even from the pandemic all coming back to the office at the same time. Everyone has different needs and situations that make them feel different sense of risk. Yeah. So some people are going to be unwilling because of that. I mean, candidly, we have, we have two kids uh, and, and son zoom schooling is super annoying. So if we were presented with the opportunity, I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Right. But we also don't have elderly parents at home. We don't have a lot of other risks that other people have. So everybody's going to be in that, that different scenario too. Right. So I really don't think people have a choice. There is going to be the need to get those people more flexibility. What I would say is default to trust and giving your people autonomy now. And eventually you'll arrive at what that rhythm is, what that permissible amount of time is, but it's going to be different for every company and maybe even every team. So if you're not feeling it out from a place of we trust you and we're just trying to figure out what works best for everyone's work-life integration, um, then, then it has the potential to go horribly wrong because you're not giving enough or too much, et cetera. And people feel managed instead of feeling like this is us arriving at a solution. I love that you brought up trust because I feel like this is such an important component of it. And I know that there's been situations where people have gone remote and maybe been too lax. And then there's also that other end of the spectrum where you almost feel like certain employees were being watched more or like employers were looking into things like screen capture software or weird stuff like that. How do you kind of overcome the fact that sometimes people have a perception that just because because someone is home or even working like in a co-working office that they rent or something like that, that they're not 
as focused or that it means they're not doing their work? I mean, is that something you just have to like accept and be like, I'm going to default to the trust. I'm going to see how it goes for a couple of months and then decide if everyone on my team has been able to meet that level of trust. Yeah. So, so this is, you know, top five among the questions that, that I get, how do I know my people are working, right? If I can't see them. And yeah. And when I'm feeling particularly snarky, one of the things I like to reply is, how did you know you were working when you could see them? Right. Right. right? Like <laughs> ask your IT people or your cable company, whoever runs your internet for a report about how much bandwidth is spent at Facebook, YouTube, Amazon.com. <laughs> right. And then you tell me how hard they're working. I mean, there's a reason it's called Cyber Monday, right? The whole idea is you do your Christmas shopping on the first day you're at work. So the truth is, I mean, I feel like you have to lead from that that place of, of trust because the research even before the pandemic was that it was really weird, actually. Almost every study of, of employees who were working from home showed that they were more productive, right? Showed that they started work earlier in the day. They would start work when they had used to start their commute. They would work until the time they usually would arrive home. So they were putting in more hours. They were less distracted. They were more productive. At the same time, there was that exact stigma that we're talking about. And the roots of that stigma are this in my mind, lazy association between presence and productivity that hasn't been true. I mean, since most of us left factory work, it hasn't been true, right? But I get it. It's an easy thing to track. I can pay attention when you came in. I can pay attention when you leave. To be fair, the law profession doesn't really help here with the idea <laughs> right. of billable hours for certain people, right? Um, but but even then, come on, we always know it's never actually an hour, right? It's like a 15-minute phone call and then you get the bill. <laughs> I've gotten those bills. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, so you, you do have to lead from that place of, of trust for that reason. And you will, like, it's not going yeah. to be perfect. There may be someone on your team who really doesn't work well in that environment. And if you started from a place of, we trust you, and then it's obvious that it's not working, you now have the right not to manage them in and start spying on them, et cetera, but to say, Hey, you know what? We've been trying this and I don't feel like it's working. Can you help me arrive at a solution that's actually working? Right. And then if you know that they're obviously just blatantly betraying your trust, then you take care of the one person. And there's not really a reason to punish the rest of your team because one, I mean, it's, it's sort of the same thing with like a, they're obviously, there's usually not a policy against theft from the company inside an organization. You just fire that person and you don't feel like you need to write a three page policy and add it to the manual because somebody was stealing copier paper, right, right? Right. You just deal with the problem and trust everybody else. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's been really interesting to be part of a team that was remote intentionally before the pandemic, but then watching so many other people who had to pivot into that. And it's just been very interesting, like the way that lawyerist sets things up and does lead with that culture of trust and all of that. And I, I think that wasn't the case for everyone who maybe had to pivot into it. One of the things I'm curious about, it feels like this debate has been going back and forth throughout 2020 and now into 2021. People saying, well, there's lots of distractions in the office, but when you are dealing with things like virtual school or you have multiple family members that didn't work in the home before and now they're at home doing meetings in various rooms of the house, that it's actually more distracting at home. I mean, I'm sure there's no one clear answer on this, but I'm just sort of curious, where do you land on this like debate of where are you most productive and has the least distractions? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's not even as clear as how murky that was, right? That's what you <laughs> right. just said. There certainly are a lot of distractions, right, at, at home. And there are a ton at the office and every team is a little bit different. And the, and the bigger thing is the type of work you're doing mm. is different. Yeah. So I've, I've been working at home since I left the university, so almost uh, five or six years now. And actually, before I went back to graduate school, I was an outside sales rep who worked out of my house. So I've, I've been yeah. doing it for a lot. And the things that you learn 
are when you need to be in that like secluded place where you're undisturbed. And then there are other times where you can be around family. Like I don't, I don't need to be locked in my office to write an email. Yeah. Right. Cause I think the realization for, for everybody working at home going, how in the world do I do this? You don't, you realize the times you need true, perfect privacy. And then you, you ease up from there so that other people respect those boundaries. If you say I need to be locked in my office for eight hours a day, that's not going to work, especially if you and your spouse or partner only have one office, right? I mean, already that's not going to work. Yeah. I think the schooling one is an interesting scenario. I, I, I am willing to believe that's sort of a temporary problem we're in right now, right? So as we're thinking towards the future, that's less of an issue, but it is an issue because other distractions uh, will keep in, right? Whether it's caretaking for older family members or whether it's, I happen to have boys. So even though they're in school, doesn't mean the school's not going to call me and tell me to go get them, right? And yeah, those of you listening that have boys know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so there's a variety of those issues. But again, the office was a distracting place yeah. as well. The key here, in, in my opinion, is to focus on the team and focus on making sure that your team has what I, what I call in the book, a sense of shared understanding, meaning everyone understands the context everybody else is working in. Yeah. I'm recording this episode, for example, from a about a 10 by 10 room in the basement of my house, two floors away from my two boys who are on a snow day from school today. Otherwise, they'd be making a massive amount of noise. Right. Not everyone is that lucky. And when you, everyone on the team understands the context that everybody else is working in, they know which member of the team has a folding screen yeah. pull, you know, in the corner of their dining room and that's been their office for a year. Your sense of grace, your sense of how much you're going to assign to different people and your sense of what tasks they can do and not do all sort of change. And so that'd be my advice to a lot of team leaders is let's start from that place of shared understanding. To my advice to the individual workers is, is again, boundaries are important, but you can't draw the boundaries all of the time. Work-life balance didn't even work when you had an office to attempt the balance in. Work-life integration is what actually works. I love that. And I'm excited to dig into this concept of shared understanding. I'm glad you brought it up. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll dive right into that. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with easy-to-use cross-platform snippets. Text Expander makes quick work of mundane, repetitive tasks so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to needless text entry, spelling and grammar errors, and inconsistency in your messaging. When you use Text Expander, you can say the same thing, the right thing, in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. These versatile snippets are better than copy and paste, and they're better than scripts and templates. They work across devices and platforms to allow you to maximize your efficiency while still customizing and personalizing your messages. So take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's episode comes from Postali, a full service legal marketing agency for law firms. The attorney-client relationship is the cornerstone of the legal profession. Just like you put the client's needs first, you deserve a marketing agency that does the same to grow your practice. Postali works with law firms nationwide and is the only full-service legal marketing agency that can call itself a marketing fiduciary. That's because, at Postali, the impressive results they achieve come from always putting your law firm's financial interests above their own. Imagine a relationship with a legal marketing agency that treats your investment as they would their own dollars, without hollow SEO promises, 
no commission-based upselling, and who won't work with your competitors. Postali is the marketing agency for legal professionals looking for 100% transparency and genuine guidance from a real marketing partner. To learn more about the benefits of working with a marketing fiduciary, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist. Contact them for a free consult and mention this podcast. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ Marketing, an agency that believes in affordable and reliable marketing for solo practitioners and small law firms. With ESQ Marketing, you'll work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts, and there are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account. No account managers to deal with and no lost-in-translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Today's challenging and fluctuating business climate requires law firms to be flexible in the way they run their practice. Whether you're working remotely, in the office, or a combination of the two, you need to be able to work effectively and efficiently on the go at any time. That's why Cosmolex offers a cloud-based total law practice management system with built-in compliance for trust and general legal accounting. With Cosmolex, you get everything you need to run your practice in one solution with 24-7 mobile access that's both secure and easy to use. You'll be able to stay on top of all your billable activities no matter where you are, and your clients will love the direct and secure communication in the client portal. The Cosmolex migration team will ensure all your data is moved into your new system safely and securely so your firm can be up and running in no time. To learn more about Cosmolex Total Law Practice Management System, visit cosmolex.com forward slash lawyerist. Okay, so you brought up this idea of shared understanding that jumped out to me in the book. There was another term that I thought it might be helpful for you to define for the audience, and it's this idea of storming. And if you could kind of talk about what that is and what connection that has to things like shared understanding and working within a remote team. Yeah, so there's this old, old school, I was an organizational psychologist by training, and I used to teach uh, undergrad org psych classes. And if you've ever suffered through one of them, then you're familiar with what we used to call the Tuckman model, which is says that basically predicts that all teams go through multiple different phases before they actually arrive, right? So there's forming, which is when the team comes together. There's storming, which is when there's conflict and everyone's feeling each other out, trying to get a sense of, of what each other's strengths and weaknesses are, but also trying to get a sense of the pecking order, right? It's sort of like, and I, and I feel weird in today's climate mentioning this, but I used to use as an example, it's sort of like the first episode of every season of The Apprentice, right? You'd have these two teams set around doing all of these tasks. And you could use Survivor here or any team-based reality show. Right. And that first episode is like drama on drama on drama, right? Yeah. That's storming. We're getting a sense of who the actual people who want to be leaders for the team are. We're also getting a sense of what people's strengths and weaknesses are and how we can assign and divvy up different tasks, et cetera. Um, and after storming, you arrive at norming, which is where, okay, as a team, we have a sense of how we're supposed to work together and how we can do it most effectively. And then we finally arrive at performing, which is the fourth model. Uh, fourth aspect of the Tuckman model. Actually, he, uh, if we want to get super nerdy, he later updated it and included adjourning because he realized that endpoints matter too. Um, but anyway, you have to go through all of that to get to performing. That entire model was written 
based on in-person teams, yeah. right? And the idea was we could get through the storming phase easily. Only takes one episode of Survivor, right? Right. In a virtual team, that's a lot harder because the amount of collaboration, the amount of synchronous collaboration time that you have is much smaller. And so you could have two things go on, right? Number one, you could have storming phase last for a longer time until everybody figures it out. Or number two, you could recognize that and you could work to build shared understanding. So, so I coach a lot of teams to um, do little things. Like one of my favorite tricks is what we call the virtual tour, where you literally just pick up your laptop or your webcam and show me around where you're working. So I have a sense of your context. Show me how you stay productive, right? Um, I don't know why it's not there, but as we're recording this, I can point to the little red do not disturb sign on my office door, which is the most valuable productivity tool I've ever bought, right? Because yeah. it signals to my boys when they're not allowed to run in the room. Other people have their own little productivity hacks, right? And so when you do this virtual tour, you understand the context that people are working in, but you also get a sense of how they stay productive. And you can be like, oh, maybe I'll borrow that idea. Um, and that's the small scale. It goes all the way up into some teams I have to work with to develop a, a team working agreement, meaning a we're going to sit down and actually have a conversation about norms. What's a reasonable amount of time to wait to reply to an email? What are we discussing in Slack and what are we not discussing in Slack? Because it's a much more speed of the moment thing. What's a good reason to call a meeting, right? How do we want to receive feedback? How are we going to keep each other updated on our progress? Like all of these things. I, you know, I know at Lawyerist, you had to figure all of these things out eventually, right? A lot of teams, if you're just relying on the old school, what used to happen in a co-located team, which is the storming phase, et cetera, it's not going to happen for a long time. You've got to be much more deliberate about it. And when you are, you jump into, in my opinion, if you're deliberate about it, you jump into a performing stage better equipped than even some of the co-located teams because you've been deliberate about it, right? So um, there's, there's real strengths, there's real benefits to recognizing. I can't just rely on all of that anymore. I need to be much more deliberate and especially deliberate about building shared understanding. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think one of the things that I worried about in joining a team that was fully remote is, well, how do we handle misunderstandings and miscommunications? Because it's one thing when you can see a person throughout the course of an entire day and you pick up those different cues about them, like when their posture or when their face indicates that they're just having a rough day. And like when you meet with someone maybe for 15 minutes a day or an hour a day on Zoom, like you're not going to pick up all of those extra cues that you might see over the course of an eight hour workday with a cubicle mate who is right next to you. So I know you talk about this idea of like this healthy conflict, like there are three fights types of fights that can actually encourage people to work as part of the team and to get to that place of shared understanding. Can you chat a little bit about what those are? Yeah, yeah. So in, in the book, we present this idea that shared understanding is an important aspect as is shared identity and a sense of purpose, right? And how that bonds teams together much, much more. And so, uh, you know, this is less about the interpersonal conflict and how do you squelch it and more about pointing to that bigger picture that like the little battles you might be fighting over who has responsibility or control over budget for this matter so much less to what the company is actually fighting for, right? And so I, that, I've learned over time that one of the best ways to get at whether or not you have a truly sort of mission-driven team is I'll just straight up ask them, hey, what are we fighting for? And, and you know, I always feel weird using fight rhetoric, right? But at the same time, the answer is never competitors. So if they answer that way, I know we have a problem, right? <laughs> right? I mean, everybody always, oh, we're fighting for market share. No, not good enough. What I mean is what is the revolution that you're starting, right? What is the thing in your industry you're trying to change? 
Or what is the way you see yourself as an underdog, which is the third fight, or sorry, the second fight? Um, what is the way you see yourself as being on the receiving end of unjust criticism and you want to prove them wrong? I was born in Philadelphia, right? And Philadelphia is the city of Rocky, right? Our, our greatest sports hero, actually Nick Foles is probably our greatest sports hero, but next to Nick Foles, is a fictional character who loses a boxing match, right? I mean, that's, that's the plot of Rocky One. Fictional character loses a boxing match. But he always says he doesn't care about winning. He cares about going the distance so he can prove that he's not a bum. Like the whole movie is about the underdog being the one who wants to prove the haters wrong. So that can be a motivational sort of fight for people. And then the next one, and I actually put lawyerist here just for fun. Um, I've had conversations with Aaron about this, is the ally fight, which is to say it's not about our fight at all people we serve are, are in, in the midst of this fight and we need to help them, which means we don't have time for all the stupid interpersonal conflict, right? When you can identify that bigger thing that we're fighting for, a lot of those other things fall by the wayside. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter anymore. You, you take advantage of what um, some psychologists call superordinate goals. There is this thing and it's bigger than us and our own little agendas and let's refocus on it. And I find the reason I, I mentioned it in, in this book is that I find for a remote employee, for somebody who's working alone, you wanna make them feel that they're working alone together, right? It's really easy to feel out and isolated. It's easy to think your teammates are like non-playable characters in some video game, right? If you're, not, if you're not truly bonded and you're not truly focused on that larger purpose, but when you are, great things happen. And I see a lot of companies that are fully distributed actually have better company cultures than do co-located yeah. companies but it's never by accident. Yeah, I feel like there's this hesitation around, well, if I have to go remote with my team or if part of my team is remote, is that just gonna mean that everybody's siloed and they're clocking in at nine o'clock and they have their list of five tasks to work on and then they're checking out. I have found that there is so much more communication on a fully remote team that is doing that by intention because we all are celebrating those same wins. And when we feel like there is a problem that has ripple effects, it's something where we view that as like, oh, that isn't just that person's problem. That isn't just that department's issue to fix. How can we all kind of contribute towards that or make things easier for that person? So I love that idea of thinking about the culture as being something that is really intentional to build around. So I know you also have some tips around kind of hiring people when you know they're going to be remote. I know you mentioned like, for example, this idea of viewing cover letters as an example of someone's writing skill. I had a previous guest who was like, throw out the cover letter, trash it. You should never use it again. So it's just been interesting to see how much HR has changed in the context of the pandemic. So do you have like a couple of top tips for you're going to be hiring? This may be the first person or first group of people that you're hiring with the intention of them being remote, at least for the short term. Yeah. And, and first, isn't this crazy, right? Like when everything started a year ago, if I would have told you, you would have fired people and been hiring people yeah. all remotely. Like this was all supposed to be a two week long experiment. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, the, the point of the cover letter, and it, it's a, it's a fun debate. I actually think they're useless too. I think they were useless until March 15th, 2020. <laughs> um, the, the point of the cover letter is actually a larger point, which is just like you said, communication and collaboration are hugely important. Teamwork is more important in a remote environment, not less so. The thing about it is the process we use for hiring people. Yeah. I mean, it was always broken, right? If you were just relying on two like hour long interviews and then maybe what I always jokingly called the meet the parents interview where you bring a third person in there um, just to see if they approve of the person <laughs> you want to hire. It's like speed dating and then we're making a lifelong decision. Um, it's, it's not a good idea and it never really did work and the data on it was always sort of terrible, right? Yeah. In a remote environment, the, the thing that's even weirder is that one-on-one -on -one Zoom conversations with people 
aren't going to be the primary means of communication for most of your team, right? It's going to be text-based, first of all, right? Even in the amazing technology we have, you will communicate more information via text yeah. than you will anything else because most of the information is going to need to be asynchronous. Um, so you need to judge. Are, are they good writers? Can they clearly and concisely communicate an idea? And so I suggest in the book, cover letter uh, is one means for that. There's other companies that actually will do a phase of the interview in a chat room because, hey, we all use Slack. Why not have a Slack room to, to interview them in, right? The point is that whatever mediums of communication you know you're going to work with this person on, you need to be investigating. So that can be, yeah, do a video interview, do a video panel interview, because that'll be similar to how they function in a meeting. Some companies even say, well, here's five questions that are more sort of our company culture questions. Could you record a 90-second uh, video of you answering each one? Because that's how they communicate in little bursts of voice communication or video communication, right? So whatever it is, you need to build that into your workflow, because why wouldn't you want to test and see whether or not they're a fit for your team based on that? Um, the other things you need to pay attention to, so in addition to that is collaboration. If you nail the communication piece, collaboration becomes a little bit easier, but you do want to know how they prefer to collaborate and how often. So you want to make sure you're working in questions around what was a team they've been on in the past that was collaborated brilliantly? What did it look like? Why was it so great, et cetera? Just, just for, there's no right answer here. There's just a sense of fit. Yeah. Um, and then you obviously want to make sure they're self-motivated. And I almost didn't put this one in there because prior to 2020, you would have assumed, okay, I'm, I'm actively seeking a remote job. I'm clearly self-motivated. Otherwise I would know that I need to be in an office. Well, then all of us were forced to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And some of us aren't all that good at it. Right. Let's just be honest. Right. Some people need that environment. And so you need to find ways to to judge that, right? And and if that is, we used to judge things like that as, oh, you only worked six months at this company. What happened was our little red flag to ask about things like that. I don't know that that applies anymore. Global pandemic, recession, all sorts, right? So we need to ask deeper questions about that. I actually shift the conversation often here to habits and hobbies and things like that, right? If you're if you're training for an Ironman, it doesn't matter if you've worked remotely before, you probably are self-motivated, right? <laughs> right? And this is actually the section of the book that has the dumbest sentence in the entire book, right? Which is that it, it's something to the effect of people's ability to work without being watched will have a massive effect on whether or not they work without being watched. <laughs> right. It's, you know, it's your number one proxy. So you want to be looking to solve that question as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. There's so much good stuff there. I feel like I've always questioned stuff around the cover letters and the resumes anyways, because being a freelance writer for so many years, there were lots of people who didn't have great communication skills that would outsource that to a career coach or to a freelance writer. Mm. And so they would come across on paper just brilliantly. And then you might end up in an interview with them and you're like, is this the same person? Because it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it's coming across with the same level of knowledge or communication skills. So I love those tips around trying to make that interview and hiring process as similar to the way that you would actually interact with someone. I know one of the things that's always a red flag to me too when someone applies for a position at Lawyerist is like when you ask them why do you want to work here and their answer is, well, I want to work remotely. And I'm like, oh, there's a very important <laughs> difference between wanting to work here remotely and just wanting to work remotely. And the second one really isn't enough to convince anyone that you're like the star person we need to hire to add on to what we like to think of as an A team. So I think that's important to remember too, like the kinds of questions that you ask, like you don't have to lead them into that. Like I've just found asking that general question, like, well, what drew you to this job? What makes you want to work here? And if someone defaults to, yeah, I just want to work remotely. I don't want to have a community more. I want the flexibility. Like that's kind of like, mm, are you aligned with the culture in that particular way. Right, right. So thank you so much. I've learned a ton interviewing you. I love reading the book. Still so impressed that you wrote a book 
about working remotely and adapting to it in 2020, in the middle of 2020, and it was still published in 2020. So just great respect for you on that. Where can our listeners go to learn a little bit more about you and your work? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're if you're a longtime listener and part of the end of the podcast club, the special group of people that listened all the way to this point, <laughs> right. then you already know that the show notes for the episode are going to be one of the best places. But if you're driving, please don't like double tap. You could double tap the cover art and pull all that up, but don't if you're driving. Just remember davidberkus.com. You don't even know where about spelling it because I'm like the only one on the internet. So Google will tell you that you meant me. So just type that into, into Google and we'll get connected. There's a ton of resources on my site that'll help now and a bunch of different ways to keep the conversation going on whichever socials you want. Uh, and I hope you do, because this is not a conversation that's going to end anytime soon. The future of work is working from anywhere. And so now's the time to figure out how do I lead this team from wherever they are. The Lawyerist podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read The Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, 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 oh,